Hey y'all, this is Letch, and before we get to today's episode, I just wanted to say I have spent the last four years working closely with Gun.io engineers. If you're a first-time client and you haven't done business with any freelancer working on a software project, then you might think, hey, this is really expensive. And on the flip side, if you have done business with a freelancer and things haven't worked out, you're just kind of scared about spending more money. And the reality is that the risk mitigation comes because we do such high-level vetting and the people that we put on your projects are just consistently rated as the very highest engineers. And that's what makes the difference for you. So I encourage you to take the leap and try engineers by engineers. It's a whole different experience. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Really cool to have you on. Ledge, thanks for having me here today. I appreciate it. Could you just give a you know two or three minute background story of uh, yourself and your work for the audience? Sure. So I'm Andrew Plato. I'm CEO of Anition. Uh, I've been doing information security for 23 years. Uh, and the founding of my company is, I think, an interesting story. Um, so back in 1995, I worked at Microsoft. Uh, I was a technical writer, which is one of the least exciting jobs you could possibly have in the world. <laughs> um, and uh, part of my job was documenting code. Um, one day, I copy-pasted a SQL query. You database people know, you know what that's like into a web browser, hit enter, and it returned all of the data on the e-commerce platform that I was that I was documenting. Well, again, if you've worked in databases, you know that was a SQL injection attack. Um, now, I didn't know that at the time. I thought I just found a bug in the software. Well, fast forward a couple of weeks later, I went and showed this to all the developers, uh, thinking, "Wow, I was really onto something here." I, you know, I, I was able to use that same uh, attack to get into credit cards and other, you know, what what was secure information on the website. When I showed it to the developers fully expecting them to say, wow, you're such a smart guy, Andrew. Uh, the exact opposite happened. They said, shut up, Andrew, sit down. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, it was their reaction uh, and their sort of dismissal of security that is what got me into security. I'm like, wait a minute, why don't they see what I can see? Um, I'm, I'm just a tech writer. Um, and so that's what kind of inspired me. And uh, I, I went off and started a security company and I've been doing it for 23 years. And and had a chance to do really a little bit of everything from risk assessments and pen tests and compliance work to, you know, you name it. I, I've had the opportunity to do a little bit of it. So, okay, you know, security wasn't a huge thing 23 years ago, right? So you, you, you were definitely ahead of the curve, you know, like now I'm thinking like every other day we have you know, a, a breach of a hundred million records, it's almost becoming like a, the other direction of numbness. It's like before we didn't care because we didn't know. Now we can't care because there's so much going on. And, uh, you know, you've spoken a lot about, I looked at some of your, you know, your presentations, uh, how do we even begin to uh, sort of re-paradigm this, this problem in our heads? Because, you know, clearly the solutions um, that we, pretend to have in place are, are not working. I, I think what you're, what you're experiencing is something that us human beings have difficulty accepting, which is 
that security and many of the technologies around us have really um, they've exceeded our human capacity to handle them. Our brains and our just who we are as people, we're not capable of working at the speed of all this technology. We, we, we frankly work with a much slower uh, rate. And when you, when you get to security as an issue, um, this is, exe- is, is, is amplified many, uh, you know, many levels. Um, we as people are just not capable of handling the onslaught of attacks and problems and issues. And anybody who has run, you know, a security information and event management appliance knows it's unbelievably overwhelming the amount of data these things produce. Um, so we're simply not capable of dealing with it. Um, the problem is, is that a lot of organizations uh, they haven't really figured this out, and they're still treating security people as if they're machines. They're, 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 you know, they're going to security people and and developers and and IT engineers and other people, and expecting them to know everything, to be completely in full capacity of every conceivable thing going on in that environment, and that is just not reasonable. Um, I, the smartest person in the world couldn't understand the complexity of some of these platforms, and so we look at something like an Equifax attack and you know we say oh Equifax they're you know they're bad and they're wrong and all these you know the people weren't qualified that might be true but what's also true is that the people who are running these systems it's just not reasonable for us as as for the company to expect them to know every possible weakness in the organization and be able to respond to it at the speed of which today's attacks are happening um and, and and what that really means is that we have to now let the technology do a lot of this work for us. And so we've got hardware technology, we've got software technology, we've got network technology, you know, uh, everything is moving to the cloud, you know, okay, so we've got a rapidly moving macro environment in which you're trying to make that major sort of, you know, paradigm shift of, of humans, none of whom ourselves included, you know, really do so well with change or re-education or, you know, whatever that is, right? So, okay, you know, break it down, right? We, we need some kind of different way of thinking that, uh, that humans can actually do. I think where it starts is an understanding that we have to know what we are good at as humans. We are good at uh, that kind of slower analysis process that we're really good at asking why. Why is that happening? Or what's going on here? What's the bigger picture? So that's something human beings can do and we can do quite well. And we're good at doing that in a, in a kind of collaborative environment. If you put a bunch of people into a room and, and ask, why is this happening? You'll probably get a lot of different opinions. And out of that will emerge a, a story or a picture of, of, of what's going on. And, and often that'll be reasonably accurate. It'll help guide you and give you a trend or some vision or some goals around it. That's what we can do well. And that's a critical part of security because if you don't have that anal- analytics happening, kind of behind the scenes, then it is just this deluge of data. There's no meaning out of it. Um, what that means is we as humans kind of have to step back and, and get into more of a role of watching what's coming out of these systems 
and then piecing that together into a story. So if multiple bad things are happening, there's some bigger story going on here. What is that bigger story? Um, one single attack does not mean the entire organization is at risk, but multiple attacks and multiple things going on or a sequence of events that can tell a bigger story. Um, that's what we as humans have to do. Um, but what that also means is we need to kind of let go and let the technology do that rote kind of work that that you know looking through the data and sifting through and, and looking for the you know the the needle in a stack of needles. Quite frankly, um, we have to trust the technology, um, and that's difficult to do, particularly if a lot of us have grown up in, in a world where um, you know you know, we built these, you know, machines by hand, or, you know, we, we did a lot of this stuff manually, we always want to be in control of it, like it's, it's mine. Um, and, and we kind of have to let that go, we have to kind of push it away and let the code do the work. So letting the code do the work is, of course, also dependent upon human written code, right? So, you know, <laughs> we have this sort of like endless, um, agile, I guess, lean sort of, you know, approach to like, well, we just have to keep solving problems and keep getting better and better and better. Um, how do you get the organizational mindset, you know, headed, headed that way? Well, the first good thing that's important to understand about code is that it learns from its lessons uh, quickly. So if something's broken in code, you fix it, that's it, it's fixed. Uh, that problem will not presumably crop up again. You're not going to have to relearn that lesson sometime down the road. Now, of course, I know first person's going to say, well, what about, you know, recursive errors and all that stuff? Okay, yeah, sure. Um, it doesn't mean that it doesn't spawn new errors. Um, but the point is, is that once you, you know, code is kind of a, it works or it doesn't sort of thing. It's a little more of an on-off uh, relationship versus humans, which it's like on any given one day, uh, if you're having a bad day, you could completely miss things. Um, it is a difficult paradigm shift. What I, what I can say is that the, you know, my generation, uh, and I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer. I was born in 1969. Um, my generation is, is probably the one that's struggling with this quite a bit, um, because we're kind of trapped between generations and, you know, we still kind of want to do everything ourselves. We've got that kind of Gen X mentality to us. But the generations that are after us, millennials, I know people like to complain about millennials a lot, which I think is unfair, quite frankly. Um, there's a much greater comfort level in this automation and technology. And this is where something where my generation and, frankly, the generation before ours, we can learn a lot from the, this, the millennial generation that it's okay to automate. Um, for many millennials, um, automation and this kind of stuff is it's just normal. It's natural. It's That's why wouldn't you automate these things? So I think right there, there's a lesson to be learned. The, the generations that are coming up, they are much, much more comfortable with letting the code do this work. And, and we, as the Gen Xers, kind of need to let that happen. I think the other thing that happens is once these systems get up and running, once you, once you kind of codify security, once you turn security into code, when it becomes an integral part of the DevOps process and it starts just integrating into the whole, you quickly realize how much easier security becomes, how it becomes much more enjoyable. 
quite frankly, because you're not having to monitor, you know, a sim all day. You're not watching firewalls and AV logs and all this nonsense. You can really, truly step back and start to do the bigger risk analysis work, which as a security practitioner is much more rewarding because now you can start having conversations with a business about here's a threat we face you know here here's a here's a bigger threat we face we threat you know we face threats from you know foreign um, you know organizations that want to get in and steal our data let's craft a plan to deal with that that's a much more rewarding problem to deal with as a security professional then hey by the way did you know the semantic engine is throwing off errors all day uh, you know? <laughs> um that's just not as entertaining let's let the code deal with that let's 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 you know let's integrate that that solution into the code yeah i mean you remind me of you know in my my coding days you know we had log fatigue you know where it's just like if this stuff isn't built right you just get this endless flow of garbage and you know warnings and you know whatever like you got to do that in a clean way or you could offload that to you know log management and to you know software that is largely now starting to evolve into your you know sort of big data machine learning and even ai in this space what's the what do the next few years look like there because i mean you're, you're describing a streaming data problem that ought to be processed by machines and and that's uh, a use case that you know some of that ml and ai really is designed for well the good thing about the emerging uh, sort of technologies in this space is that we can just stream all the data into uh, you know these big data repositories and just kind of leave it there and there's a lot of value to just streaming it in there um, to to letting that data sit there because you never know when you want to go back to it and do some analytics on it um, and that's that's you know you look at the whole kind of like you know that movie Moneyball, right? Where they analyze all these little details and all the data behind these players. Well, the same principles can apply now in security and DevOps and all this. We want to go back and analyze that data to kind of find some trends there. Um, and and sometimes that log data is valuable. So having the data is valuable. Um, the analytics of it, though, you're right. The technologies need to evolve, and this is a good example where AI will be beneficial in the future to have it go through these technologies, look for these trends, spot them, be able to seed these AI engines with you know, key metrics and data, and then just kind of let them learn the data and logs. Uh, unfortunately, we're not quite there yet. Um, those technologies are still very emergent. Um, what you are seeing, though, in security is a move toward um, automated threat hunting. It's something we do in our 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 platform and our services at Anishian is trying to automate that process as much as possible because once you automate it, you then kind of have a security analyst on the job 24 seven and they're working at the microsecond level, not at the, you know, month level. <laughs> um, and so the more you can kind of automate that and that's, that is actually, and I don't want to, I hate to use the word easy, but um, automating that hunting for threats is is eminently doable. Um, it really is just a matter of creating these kind of intricate searches and pattern uh, capabilities where you know that if this happens and that happens and this happens, that's an interesting event. That's that sequence of events, uh, that correlative sort of, a, uh, and that doesn't require advanced machine learning to do. You can do that right now and today. The challenge, of course, is, is that to 
to build those engines is really difficult. Um, but of course, the good side of that is that there are companies like my own out there that we're building that. We've already built it. Um, and we're not the only ones. I don't want to make it sound like we're completely unique here. Um, there are those capabilities now, and the more we can speed and automate that, um, it, it, it reduces that log fatigue on the security side, but also on the DevOps side, because now we have a clear, like, okay, that's the problem, rather than this, like, I don't know, there's tons and tons of logs we got to now pile through to try to figure it out. So you're talking to a whole lot of software engineers now, so I'd love to hear about your your process of developing a comprehensive, you know, security suite and, you know, all the, the things that, you, that you've done there, and how did you uh, conceive of an engineer the software product that that you rely on? So it's a great question. Thanks for asking that. Um, it's We had an interesting pathway to that, and it started really with having been a security integrator for many, many years and been a security audit firm. So we did, you know, compliance audit, PCI audits, and, and you know, risk assessments. We watched company after company after company struggle with security issues. And I mean, I, I can think back to companies that were taking two, three, four years to meet these compliance requirements and how it was just a miserable process for them. I mean, they, they hated every minute of it. It was like pulling teeth with the developers. And frankly, I didn't blame them. If I was in their role, I'd be like, you know, this is kind of miserable, but you got to do it. I'm sorry. You know, and, and after doing that for a long time and really dealing with the ire of customers who are like, there's got to be a better way to do this, that was really our own thing. We're like, you know what? There is. There's got to be a better way to do this. Um, and so at that, that happened to us a few years ago where we kind of just finally got fed up with, with all of this you know, manual tweaking of, of technologies to make them secure or compliant. And we said, wait a minute, we, we know automation is a thing. You know, there's technologies emerging like Phantom and Swimlane, these kind of security automation platforms, which are pretty cool. And they can do some really neat stuff. But we, we were thinking, how could you get this even like one more layer deep? Because that's actually just an automation platform that sits on top of a bunch of existing kind of on-premise hardware. We wanted to make it where it's like, we want this like just embedded right into the entire infrastructure. When you look at the cloud, I mean, everything is code in the cloud. You know, AWS and Azure and all these cloud platforms, it's all code. There is no physical hardware, really. Um, and so that's when we sort of got uh, tangled up in this, okay, let's, let's codify the security of these cloud architectures. Um, it was right about the time we started doing that, building that platform, uh, that uh, AWS actually approached us and said, hey, we like what you're doing. You want to do that some more. Um, what really it required, though, was an interesting fusion of skill sets. So we were a security company. We had this really rich background of information security expertise, but we weren't much of a development shop. Development was, you know, the whole DevOps thing was a concept for us, but we hadn't really done it. Um, so we as a company had to start adopting DevOps techniques inside the company. And that was not easy. <laughs> I can tell you a classic sort of security consultancy trying to adopt this agile, you know, DevOps mentality. 
Um, needless to say, there were there were a few um, casualties of that process. Some people, like you said, we don't like change. Some people really did not like that change. Um, but I knew that it had to happen. We had to do it. So um, we, we, we really started using DevOps as just a, a methodology across not only uh, internal development, but even just our regular security consulting practices. Um, and getting into this really like everything's got to kind of be done in this you know, iterative, fast, you know, uh, uh, you know, sprint sort of mentality, like, okay, this is what we're going to focus on right now, get it done, you know. Um, even just moving over to the tools of DevOps, you know, using Jira to manage our projects rather than some, you know, ancient project. So it's all those little things. It's kind of adopting that methodology. That's what we had to go through. Um, now, I know a lot of DevOps shops, they kind of have to go for the reverse of that. It's like, how do you then kind of, in, you know, build security into that? And the real key to that is, is making sure that security is part of every process, that it's designed right into the code, um, that the security controls are built into your platform, that, and more importantly, that when you're doing your development, you're developing on secure reference architectures. You're not developing in these environments that are wide open to everything with no security controls whatsoever, because invariably you end up developing applications that need everything to be wide open and unsecured in order to operate, which doesn't fly. Um, if you start that process very early on in the DevOps cycle, building on, you know, developing on hardened platforms, developing with the security controls already in place, um, mandating that security controls are automatically, in, you know, built into the CICD pipeline, it forces your development into a secure pathway. It also means, quite frankly, that in some ways development gets a little easier because there's certain things that if you want to, you know, that you can't do. And it's like, okay, we can't do that. It's not an option. Let's not even explore it. Um, so our pathway was that we, we, you know, once we adopted some of those DevOps approaches, uh, and got that into our whole, uh, company cycle, um, that's how we built the platform. I mean, that's how we started developing our, uh, technology, which, which really gives developers exactly that it's a stack of tech that we can deploy in about four hours. And it's a, it's a, it's an entire security reference architecture that, it's got everything kind of baked into it. So, you know, with a push of a button, boom, there you go. You've got a reference architecture. In our case, we hinge it on compliance requirements like PCI or FedRAMP. Um, so that it's it's just now you're developing in this kind of constrained space rather than just doing whatever you want. Wherever. Now, I love that story of, of the mandate to become a software development company. And uh, you're, you're calling it, you know, this is the DevOps culture, which is, you know, just sort of, derivation of agile, right? And, yeah. you know, yeah. to become an agile company as a services provider, because services providers tend not to be agile because they don't really need to be. And and you can kind of get away with being a service provider in a non-agile fashion, which you can't get away with using a service provider mindset to develop complex software without that iteration. So that's that's a neat story because not a lot of not a lot of companies make a make that turn and, and not a lot understand that, uh, you know, you can learn from the software process in the rest of the business. So, you know, that's, it's really interesting to hear that. 
Yeah, and and I do want to emphasize that it definitely had casualties, um, but we had to be willing to do that. Um, and I think that's the that's one of the bigger mistakes I see a lot of companies, a lot of people make, is they're so afraid of any form of failure that they paralyze themselves and, and refuse to change. And ultimately, they kind of undermine themselves and undermine their own business because that fear of failure just kind of consumes them and overtakes them, which in you know, the sort of DevOps world, it's like, heck no, we want to fail fast. <laughs> Let's fail as fast as we can. So we learn it and we just iterate and go on it. Um, and that's also a, that's that's another area where you kind of run into that service mentality because the service mentality is always we can never screw up in front of a customer. We can never make a mistake. Um, and I'll be honest with you. Some of our customers were like, you know, we would say to them, hey, yeah, we made a mistake. That's normal. That's part of the process. We're learning here. We're figuring out how to do this and do it right. Um, sometimes people just don't get that mentality. And, and it, But what I will tell you is, is again, and kind of get back to the generational thing, um, the generation that's after, you know, the, the millennial generation, definitely much more comfortable with that approach. Um, it's not foreign to them. It doesn't feel strange. Um, whereas my generation struggles a bit more with that. Um, so it, it, it definitely requires, it's, it's difficult. And the way to do it successfully is make sure, in, in our case, is communicating with all those people around it is, look, this is a mandate. We're going to do this. Come, come, you know, come hell or high water. We're going to make this change. And um, if you get on board, the benefits are we're going to be able to do more, do better, make more money. You're going to get more opportunities. There's just benefits across the board. And if you don't want to get on board, that's okay. There's plenty of other places that aren't like that, um, where you can have a comfortable kind of service-oriented job. And, um, you know, it's tough to make those decisions. In our case, the company, and a lot of this, I think, has to do with my own personality. I like change. <laughs> I like to do the newest uh, stuff. I think that's fun. Um, you know, so that that's what drove a big big chunk of it. Well, it's the old, uh, you know, you're going to be very successful somewhere else, right? <laughs> <laughs> the difficult, the difficult really conversations of, of building and, and scaling and changing a company, you know, what got you here won't get you there. Andrew, super cool to have you here. Really appreciate the insights. Um, any, any closing comments, you know, for the, for the audience of uh, 20,000 engineers out there? Well, I was going to say, I, I do have one thing, which is for all of those people who are kind of working in these, monolithic sort of more traditional IT shops where you're not very DevOps centric. Um, I, I basically give you a warning, which is that the future is coming whether you like it or not. Um, and the truth is we have to adapt um, or you're going to die. Um, we can't just keep doing the same, you know, classic waterfall met methodologies or clinging to on-premise hardware, uh, things like the cloud and DevOps, the reason these are great gaining in popularity is because they, they frankly, they work better. Um, and so my warning to all these engineers is, is that um, I've watched a lot of companies um, quite frankly, let a lot of people go who wouldn't change. Um, and uh, you got to kind of get on board with this. And, but I will tell you the rewards are your job, frankly, does become more rewarding uh, and more fulfilling when you, when you, start working in this more agile collaborative way. I can't beat that. You know, it's a great finishing thought. Thanks so much, Andrew. 
Great, great to have you on. Really, uh, really great insights. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It's been, uh, it's been fun. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.